The Guardian. Hello, this is Music Weekly. I'm Alexis Petridis. This week, public service broadcasting discuss the power of old propaganda, Justice talk us through ten years of Ed Banger, and in Singles Club we discuss the Orwells, James Holden and... That's all here on Music Weekly from The Guardian. I'm on my... Well, I'm not on my own. I'm in a studio full of people. But Kieran, there's no Kieran. Kieran has uh, gone... Uh, gone to America. <laughs> uh, she's gone to New York to do some interviews. Um, so I'm here, but joining me, keeping me company, Michael Han. Hello, Alexis. And uh, Rebecca Nicholson. Hello. How are you doing? Good. Good, yes. Good. Excellent, yep. excellent. Um, what's been happening in the news this week? What's been happening in the news? Um, Mick Jagger's going to stay in a year at Glastonbury. No, he's not. No, of course he's not, but he said he's going to. <laughs> yeah, he just said and that, that. that's the propaganda, propaganda battle one, isn't it? Public Service Broadcasting's next album is going to be about Mick Jagger <laughs> saying that he was going to stay in a yurt were at you, Were you in a yurt last Glastonbury? I've never been I in had a yurt. peek in... Someone was in a yurt. You right, you a peek inside my yurt, darling. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, no, no, but I... Tell I mean, the Guardian yurt, and I remember it, it really? being a bit... I, when I discovered, uh, actually on Friday, that Arthur Brown... He of the crazy world of Arthur Brown. I am the god of hellfire and I bring you fire. <laughs> Lives in a yurt just outside of Lewis. Does he? Absolutely, yeah. Some yurts look quite... I'm homely, homely yeah. yurt. I, I have stayed in a yurt on holiday before and I had a lovely yurting time. Really? Yes. Ah. Well, um, <laughs> yurt, what, what, yurt, yurt rock to see. You had, you I've, I've, I've seen one. You, had, seen yacht, one. you had yacht rock, we've moved on to yurt, yurt rock. rock. Imagine how <laughs> dreadful yurt rock did, is. Did you pick up that snippet about uh, the crazy world of Arthur Brown and his yurt? Uh, while talking to Richard Norris at the Great Escape Alexis. Yes, I was talking to Richard Norris, um, formerly of The Grid, and the, the creator of the first ever British Acid House album, Jack the Tab. And also Bam Caruso Records. Bam Caruso it? Records, um, now uh, then uh, was in uh, Beyond the Wizard's Sleeve with our Alcan, now operates under the name of Time and Space Machine. Um, a friend I, I just pod, called him been, Richard. Really, yeah, well, he's, he's, just got, he's got a very illustrious history. It was, it was Rebecca, The Great Escape on Friday. The elderly psych tribes came out on Friday. It wasn't. Morning. It wasn't intentional. <laughs> it was just a lot of middle-aged, <laughs> middle-aged so blokes. We're going. Yeah, let's have a look at the witches, and um, Jack O'Gardner, and Temple. It was a very mm. odd. I mean, it was very well put together bill because normally at the Great Escape you go to these things and it's just the most weird kind of like random. You know what I mean? It's just been thrown together because everyone's from the same country or something like that. And that seemed to be like Friday night is is sixty psych revival. Except night. the problem with it was because all the bands were in the same family so to speak um, and the crowd were all fans of that family of music there was no between bands emptying of the venue so no. it's like oh it just remains packed the whole time with no um, no churn no, there was no churn. There was no churn. What other news? What other news? Well, Ray Manzarek dying, I suppose, is to many people quite important music news. That was very sad. It was very sad. Um, it's quite interesting going back and listening to the Doors in the light of Ray Manzarek dying, as I as I did yesterday morning, in order to write something about him. You actually sort of the Doors are one of these bands that have a bit of a bad reputation, I think. You know, or a, a slightly lower reputation than they used to have. And I was listening, to actually, you know, that's kind of unfair. Well, it's because of Jim Morrison, isn't it, really? Inventing the the trope of the pompous, self-aggrandising, really quite revolting rock star, regardless of what was happening behind him. I suppose so. I suppose so, but the music's rather good. Mm. 
I think they could be. They certainly could be a good group. Those doors? <laughs> no, 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 no. It, it was more. It was more sort of like powerful and potent and rocking than I remember. I haven't listened to them for quite a long time. Of course, coming back to Richard Norris, I see. I'm of course cleaving to the um, the line that was put out in the sleeve notes to Evil Hoodoo, the Seeds compilation that Bam Caruso put out, which said, the doors ripped everything from the Seeds. Wow, really? You see, yeah, people, I think the, the, love, the, they ripped the, everything the from love. Singer, drum, uh, guitarist, and organ player covering bass duties as well, which is exactly what the Seeds were wow. doing a year before the doors. Well, there you go. Has anything happened, uh, other than uh, Ray Manzarek dying, pertaining to slightly younger people that we can talk about? I'm not saying that Brian May is a slightly younger person. <laughs> but Brian May but he's still alive. of The Voice, which is aimed at slightly younger people. And what does he and say? he's called it vile and rude. Really? Why is it yeah. vile and rude? He says it's rude because people are singing their hearts out and you have the judges with their backs to the performers, yeah. which is sort of the gimmick of the show. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, but yeah, he, Brian May doesn't like it. Really? I feel like Brian May comes out every three months with something else he doesn't yeah. like. He, well, he doesn't like much. No. He likes badges. Things what I don't like. He uh, likes badges. Yeah, and song, stars. And stars. Astrology. <laughs> and Mika. Badges, <laughs> stars and Mika. Doesn't like me. No, he once blogged about how horrible you were, didn't he? Yeah, he, he did, yeah. Because you were horrible about Mika. I was just horrible about Mika. I never said anything about Brian. I think Brian <laughs> made I think that's right. happened to somebody else I know as well. Really? Who isn't you. He said I was, like, I was a, sort of like a spotty 16-year-old in the bar. I was like, I wish, mate. <laughs> it's a long time since I was a spotty 16-year-old. Mr. May. But so well, I don't really understand. But the thing about what well, the thing that always strikes me as slightly odd about uh, the remnants of Queen is they go, oh, it's terrible. You know, uh, we will rock you. It's a musical. It's all about how terrible boy bands are. And six months later, they make a record with five. <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then, and then, on the whatever it was, fifth anniversary or something, or tenth anniversary of We Will Rock You, special presentation. Who should come on stage? McFly. Manufactured <laughs> pop band. It's like you can't... Well, they did a version this. of Don't Stop Me Now. Yeah. No, I, mean, it's, it, I, I was thinking about the Queen and their legacy and Five the other day. As um, Why? <laughs> <laughs> we Will Rock You uh, came, on, uh, came on the radio in the car. And um, I couldn't help myself. Because now when I hear We Will Rock You, I'm always waiting for... Richie Neville's intervention of "Gonna rock you, baby." <laughs> I have no recollection. And I insist on when when I hear Queen sing "We Will Rock You," I have to sing the Richie Neville bit myself. So yeah, five of And the kids are going, "Why, why are you?" Ro-? Five yeah. for me. It's now it's become the definitive version of "We Will Rock You." <laughs> <laughs> Gonna rock you, baby. Amazing. And, and and anyway, what were your conclusions about this? Oh, nothing. My kids just got really, really annoyed. No, at no. Me. But you said you were thinking about Queen. I didn't think legs. that hard about it. Was Alexis, that it? To be honest, Was that, you give that quite a big build up. <laughs> to be honest with well, you, no, for, it, I thought you were going to say something but really it, profound. Well, no, but, We've seen Michael Hand doing a Richie Neville impression. <laughs> know, that was not yeah. how I expected um, it. Billy Piper's go. waiting outside for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs> no, but it is it. You, you are. You are. Oh, you, you keep up with your 15 year old pop gossip. Richie Neville and Billy Piper were an item. She used to get hate mail from five fans. Wow, imagine that. When he was still more famous than her. Wow. There was a world in which that was the case. Um, no, Queen and their legacy. It has been interesting, though. The last 15 years, has Queen have clearly been making a more and more concerted effort to ramp up their legacy. You know, more and more mm. features in the classic rock mags with full cooperation, deluxe issues, big documentaries. And at the same time, they're throwing their music at any old piece of crap. Yeah. Got up at McFly, at Five, at the We Will Rock You musical. It's kind of like... Well, they want to, a phrase I've coined. They want to have their cake and eat it. <laughs> <laughs> Let us move on. Come on. 
Public Service Broadcasting have just released an intriguing debut album. Their mastermind, Jay Wildgoose Esquire, not, I suspect, the name that he was christened with, came in to tell us about it. Shortly before the beginning of this century, a small group had a vision of a great human service. These dreamers were pioneers. They envisioned a great institution. Today, I want to show you this world-famous institution. I deem it a privilege to be able to serve public service. Public service. Public service. Public service. Broadcasting. Describe what public service broadcasting do for the benefit of someone who has never heard heard your work. Mm, it's quite hard to do that in one sentence, but I'll you can take, you can have more than <laughs> one sentence. I'm placing placing yeah. Placing, yeah <laughs> <laughs> we take samples from old public information films, archive footage, even some feature films, some propaganda material, and we uh, sample them and set them to new music that we've written around it, and then kind of reverse engineer the videos so that we re-edit the videos to match the music we've written and then when we take it out live we kind of show all that as one how did you end up doing this uh, <laughs> it's another one that's difficult to answer it, it's kind of it, it went along in steps and stages really it started the one sort of thing i can pinpoint is the start was just listening to archive on radio four and um it was Tom Robinson who was presenting one on the release of some BFI films onto the internet. Mm. And I went on and had a look and just, uh, I think I found a film called Coughs and Sneezes Spread Diseases. Yeah. And um, there's, there's one little line in it, I think it was, now I'm going to show you three things and I want to see what you can do with them. One, two, three. And so I just kind of took those lines and, you know, turned those into sort of musical mm-hmm. refrains and then sort of blended it together and made a song. Um yeah, and then I played it to a few friends, and, and for once the reaction was actually quite positive, so I thought, crikey, <laughs> I might be onto something here. And uh, yeah, just made more and more and more, and then before I knew it, you know, was wearing corduroy on, on a regular basis. And, uh... <laughs> There's trouble ahead. Trouble that may or may not be a signal 30. What will we find? A minor mishap? Or will we look upon the stark face of death? What's interesting is there is some, I suppose, um, thematic or uh, spiritual correspondence with what people like Morden Music and people assigned to Ghost Box are doing. It's sort of trying to recreate the music that you would have found on, on sort mm. of public information. And that's not what, what public service broadcasting is about at all. No, it's 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 supposed to be quite modern sounding music. I, you know, I can't really comment as to whether or not we mm. we achieve that goal. But uh, it's I suppose it's kind of like it's sort of soundtracking, but not really soundtracking, but sort of with a, a more modern agenda. I think it it kind of sets up a bit of a juxtaposition really between the modern sounds and the uh, you know the sort of the more retro mm. sound of the voices, which is just a sound that you you couldn't you can't really emulate or replicate. You know, you need to have those forties and fifties voices on there to give it that character and that weight. Uh, and I think live, especially, that's that's quite an interesting thing to look at because it's kind of a lot of modern technology going into playing it live, you know, quite computer-heavy, but with lots of live instruments as well. Um, but then all these old black-and-white films as well, and I think it, it becomes, you know, some people seem to find it quite emotional, actually. In a really? Strange way, yeah. That's yeah. interesting. You, you, the live clip that I've seen um, is, is, is you 
performing with basically with a telly on, you know, yeah. showing the, the this stuff. That that is that what you still do? Have you developed that? Uh, that that's actually Old Faithful, and she's been with us since uh, <laughs> since I went to the Fringe I, in a sort of crazy move. I booked seven days at the Edinburgh Fringe in 2010, I think, and so wow. thought, crikey, what am I going to do to compete against? whatever it is, 6,000 other acts or whatever mm. that are on. And I thought I'd better give people something to watch as well. Uh, so then that was when I started re-editing the films, got that telly sort of put together and you know worked out how to, to synchronise the video to the to the audio. But nowadays, it's kind of, it's, it's again, it's been sort of several steps up. And for the album tour that we're about to go on in May, we've kind of got more of a, an installation type thing going on. Right. We've got kind of an enormous TV that sits at the back of the stage that we project onto and then um, sort of three or four other different stacks of three or four TVs that mm-hmm. we can show other stuff on as well, including us, bizarrely. So, oh, really? Yeah, it's it's uh, it's a bit of a head-scratcher, but <laughs> yeah, there's a lot to take in when you see it live, I think, which is good. I think. What's the appeal of those sort of 40s GPO films. I mean, they're, they're, I mean, I know what the appeal is of them in that they're incredibly well made and in some cases quite emotive films and they're, they're intended as propaganda, a lot of them, because they're made during wartime or whatever. Um, what's the appeal of them as a musician? There's something about the, the sort of the, the weight and the character of the voices. You just you can't, like I said, you can't really sort of emulate that these days. If mm. you sort of set out to get an actor to record those lines or something, you just you, it just loses it instantly. I mean, particularly with something like London Can Take It, being from London myself and, and just seeing seeing the footage in that film is mm. just extraordinary. Um, and just for the benefit of people who don't know, London Can Take It is a film that was made in 1940? I think it was 40, yeah. Um, yeah. Which was sort of intended to be shown in America to a certain mm. degree and to spur the Americans into action in, in, in World War Two. It's mm. a, Although it's claiming that, uh, you know, the, the great resilience of the British character and they're going to win the war. This is a, It's made at a period of time when it looks like Britain is really yeah. getting its ass kicked the in brink, the war. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it's got an American... It's, yeah, right? it's, it's, uh, American it's Quentin board. Reynolds. Yeah. 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 Now it's 8 o'clock. Jerry is a little bit late tonight. Dusk is deepening. Soon the nightly battle of London will be on. This has been a quiet day for us, but it won't be a quiet night. You know, it's, 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 it is thought-provoking on many levels, as, as you've just, just shown, really. And uh, it's, it's, it's a sense of nostalgia in, in a certain way. For sort of a life and a bit, a, a, almost a naivety in some ways, with some of the public information films that's kind of kind of gone these days. You know, mm. I remember being sat down and watching horrible films in sort of school in mm. the eighties, and I don't know, does that happen anymore these days? I don't know. I mean, I think there's two different stages of the public information film, isn't there? There's the 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 kind of classic. You know the, the the ones I suppose the ghost box draw on, which is mm. from the sort of late sixties mm. um, up to about the mid eighties, where it's just death and horror. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's the, don't fool with fireworks, or this will happen yeah. to you. But then before that, the forties, fifties, and early sixties, I suppose it's more born out of the same kind of thinking that gave us the welfare state and gave us the national health service and things like that, which is a sort mm. of slightly patrician. You know. Yeah, this will be good for you if you actually do very much so with with coughs and sneezes, you know. Mm. You know, with literally somebody wagging a finger, yeah, isn't saying, it? You know, use a handkerchief, which yeah. actually, to be fair, people these days could use with being told again. You know, <laughs> <but> <laughs> if you travel on the tube, but tell us about the album. What kind of stuff is on the album? What can people um, in public public service broadcasting's uh, 
debut album expect to hear? <laughs> well, it's it's called Inform, Educate, Entertain, which is you know not so much a, a nod as a you know a very heavy head shaking towards Lord Reith, mm. um, the sort of the ex director general of the BBC in the sort of the golden age, I suppose, in the thirties. Yeah, I think the emphasis is heavily on entertain out of those three, rather than you know, we're not expecting people to take notes or anything. <laughs> <laughs> and it's kind of with the release we did before, we did the War Room EP last year, which was very much you know of a of a piece. It was written as one EP, and that was sort of five tracks all about World War Two. This mm. is much broader themed. It's much more about a broader range of things that we're interested in and, and the kind of music that we're interested in making. It's kind of sort of setting us us all out, I suppose, in a. You've mentioned corduroy twice mm. in this interview. There is an image that there goes is. with this. Yeah, yeah. And I'd like to say it did come before Doctor Who came along. And yeah, you have got a certain, you know, Matt Smithish really look. Oh, wow. Well, I haven't even got the bow tie on at the moment. So shockingly, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, it kind of it, it just seems a natural fit, really. If you're going to play this kind of music with those kind of films, you need to look like a '70s geography teacher. And, <laughs> <laughs> I'm assured by several people that we do, so <laughs> mission accomplished, really. Um, how many musicians do you have playing with you? I mean, you do do you do it all yourself in the studio, and then it becomes a band when you play live, or is, is public service broadcasting a band? It's kind of it is more like that, just to sheer levels of control freaker, I suppose. But um, I do I tend to write nearly everything um, and sort of put down demos of drum tracks, you know, just electronic nonsense, and then get somebody who can actually who can play drums, a.k.a. Wrigglesworth, the man with the sticks, and uh, get him to um, to sort of bash along to it, really, in a, in a proper studio, and then go away and edit it. And then, yeah, so I'd say most of it is kind of done... Well, it's done in my garage, really. <laughs> it's done, but uh, we do the drums in a proper studio. After working on an album full of stuff and immersing yourself in the, the sounds of the 40s and 50s, voices from the 40s and 50s. Is there a part of you that wants to make a kind of ferocious post-dubstep record <laughs> that sounds like... Yeah, yeah. if anyone wants to get in touch about remixing, yeah. <laughs> might get a surprise. <laughs> um, the sound's sort of quite motoric. I mean, it's quite crowdy. Would you, would you crowd rockish? Mm. Would you say that's a fair... I think that's fair, in, in certainly in some instances. Uh, I think Spitfire was... You know, it's the best known of, of the tracks we've done. Mm. Um, I didn't realise how, how much people like Spitfires. I knew they liked them, but I didn't realise oh, yeah, quite great, yeah. The birds fly a lot better than we do. See how they wheel and bank and fly? Perfect. And all in one. Wings, body, tail, all in one. I was I was worried writing that, thinking that you know, what if this plays into the wrong hand, it sort of plays into the wrong kind of crowd and people Saturday, think it's really, you know, a celebration of the wrong kind of things to do with the World War II, you know, the kind of the two world wars and one world cup. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's, it's very easy to seem sort of, you know, yeah. nationalistic. So I was trying to undercut that and I thought one of the, you know, maybe it's a bit too subtle, but one of the best ways to do that would be to put crowd rock beat behind it mm. and kind of, you know, use that to, to bridge the gap a little bit. And we were very careful with how we edited the video for that as well, not to get... Not to get any kind of Nazi insignia or, or sort of, you know, Air Force, you know, Luftwaffe badges in there. Um, just to, again, try and, and sort of, you know, stave off any rampant nationalism. Because, I mean, that's actually quite a difficult thing to do because these films, a lot of these films you're dealing with, are by default rampantly nationalist because they yeah. they're made during the war and it's yeah. all about, you know. Yeah, I mean, Spitfire is the, it's from the film The First of the Few and it's an absolute. It's an enormous distortion of history. I mean, really? not, it's totally not what happened at all. But, uh, <laughs> you know, there you go. So, uh, 
Yeah, I, it's it's a fine line to tread, and I, I hope we tread it the right way. We're actually going to Germany later next month, so. Uh, That'd be amazing if they're all hugely offended. How yeah. dare you bring this up again? Yeah. <laughs> Haven't we apologised enough? <laughs> yeah, we're going to have to see how that goes. My German's not so good, so uh, <laughs> if I don't come back... That was me talking to Public Service Broadcasting's Jay Wildgoose Squire. The album, Inform, Educate, Entertain, is out now. It is time for Singles Club. Rebecca, let's hear your choice. That was Mo, or Moe, as I believe it's pronounced. It is pre- we've been through this before. Yeah, I mean, it was. I brought her in, not literally, but I brought her last single in to Singles Club. You should and have... we had this discussion. We did. Yeah, as to whether it was, it was Mo, Mo Moe, or Moe. Um, and I think it, I did speak to a Danish person about this, and right. she said it was, like, Moe. Moe. But no. I mean, if any Danes, no. if any Danes are listening, and would like to correct us. Absolutely, then they're very welcome to. Or you should just interview or something. Yeah, and just say. What do I call you? That's the only question. <laughs> Thank you very much. Thank you very much for clarifying that. Goodbye. That's called waste of time. Yes. I didn't think that was a waste of time. I was like, hey. And that's it. We're done. That's it. Thank you very much. Um, no, I thought it was great. I thought it was really good. I liked the last time. I liked the last uh, record buyer that you brought in. I like this as well. Um, tell us a little bit about it. Well, I mean, th- this is her third single. I think it's out properly in July, but it's online now, as these things are. I just like that she's kind of a weird bedroom pop star, but there's a lot of, you know, this tumbler pop. It's all kind of wispy and a bit. I'm, I'm, I'm chill wavy. Yeah, and I, I wish you could see the action that I'm doing now because I'm sort of you were wobbling, sort of like wafting, a, like a, a sort of mermaid waft. Yeah, <laughs> I was going to say mermaid waft. That's what I'm it's trying to do. It has a mermaid sort of ex- waft. A kind of shimmy. You're being a bit vapish and diaphanous. Yes, that's better. <laughs> um, this conversation still yeah. doing it. I don't need to do the movement. No, no, no. So anyway, yes. But this has got more meat to it. Oh, no, it's definitely got oomph. It's got a good rhythm track. And I saw her live a few months ago. She was great. Where was she playing live? She played at Electroworks in Islington. Right. But there's something really exciting about her. I'm looking forward to see... Who who puts her records out? I think it's Chess Club. Right. It is Chess Club. Yes. Amazing. I don't want to say amazing. (laughs) Amazing. Amazing. (laughs) Chess Club puts some records out. Amazing. Um, I, I, I liked this record because it had um, my two favourite sounds in pop. It had hand claps, and it had what I discovered on Friday lunchtime watching Night Engine was my new favourite sound in pop, which is people going, huh! I like a <laughs> I think that's good. Queens of the Stone Age do a very good huh! Well, it's surely the definitive huh! is, um, is uh, Relax by Frank Goes to Hollywood. Huh! 
That's the sort of big best bit of the song. It all stops and then someone goes, <laughs> <laughs> and then it starts again. Maybe we need to get someone, maybe girl talk or something to do a mashup that's entirely composed, just, just records in which people of... go. <laughs> it is at the very least a Spotify playlist. Our favourite. Amazing. Um, but what I did particularly like, and you were talking about the the, be- you know, the notion of her as bedroom music, watching the video, which was incredibly like one of the videos you'd get in the early 80s where right we've got 90 seconds of actual footage what should we do we'll just get bits from old films and put right. them in Stick even, even Iron Maiden used to do that in their Did videos they? yeah wow Run to the Hills has loads of bits of terrible oh yeah Cowboy films. Films. Yeah. you're absolutely right yes it does <laughs> amazing and this, this video... I keep saying amazing about things that aren't amazing <laughs> <laughs> What is wrong with me Very today? I know, I'm, I'm hugely <laughs> excited. But um, but I like to, uh, and as you know, I like the her, and I'd like to hear more of her. <laughs> <laughs> this is fantastic. Amazing. Um, yeah, I like it too. I think it's um, sort of intelligent, as you say, non-diaphanous and wafty pop music. I like that in contrast to a number of those bedroom kind of laptops, she was making a bit of an effort with her image and yeah. she doesn't there was some guy on New Band of the Day uh, and his his promo picture I was of him like some bloke in bed in one, like a student <laughs> bedroom and it's like this is this is terrible yeah you is, can't do this this is, is the best you can do yeah is this what constitutes an image these days right so anyway yes um so meh, uh waste of time um, yeah, I thought it was great. I thought it was good. Um, I thought it was had that sort of ring of Scandinavian uh, pop nous. And she, I like that she dances live, but it, it's not what you could call good dancing. No. But it's sort of brilliant bad dancing. I, li- I like it's enthusiastic yes, dancing. Yes, exactly. The guy from Washed Out, of all bands. <laughs> amazing. Because live, Washed Out, don't bother with any of the, um, the sort of the, the chill wave aspect. They just play kind of 80s pop. It, and he's, you know, yeah, Is it like Nicky and the Dove, who, uh, when I saw them last year, they had two dancers side of the stage wearing... Bodysuits with a bit of glitter on, who looked entirely like they walked straight off play away or something. <laughs> and Brian Kant was just introducing them with the words, and look, let's see how a tree grows. <laughs> and they did a dance routine based on that. I once saw Brian Kant at a car boot, so. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> Best anecdote. Let's move on. I, did, I know. <laughs> I know, it's, it's like Hollywood Babylon, this guy, isn't it? <laughs> um, anyway, let us move on. Mur Waste of Time is out on the internet now. This is Michael's Choice. Other Voices by the Orwells. Now, you checked out the Orwells, I didn't you, Michael? Out Brighton's the Great Escape. They were playing at 5.30 on Friday evening. There was nothing else happening. And I got a note saying, would you like to go and see them? I thought, yeah, all right. Yeah, knowing nothing about them. Um, they're playing this tiny little basement club, which was rammed to the gills. It's called the Smack Club. It's called the Smack Club. Which, given Brighton's <laughs> drug problem, is not the wisest. I would have thought name for a, a club. But anyway, carry on. And they came on, and these four kids, they, they're all 18, I think, from Chicago. These four kids lined up at the front of the stage. And then this bloke with long blonde... Four kids with short hair, short dark, and this bloke with long blonde hair came and stood at the front. I thought, oh, we must be from radio station. He's going to announce them. He's sort of looking a bit odd. 
And he turned out to be the singer, and he was great. He was, kept rolling it. He was standing there with his mic held at the very bottom, like it was a little twig, his arms by his side, the mic held up in front of his mouth, and just kept rolling his eyes back in his head. God, like as if there's a war, right? <laughs> <laughs> in that kind of, you're so affected, but yeah. actually it's quite It sort of worked. It sort of worked. No, I know, I know that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And th- they played for half an hour, and they were so much fun. I mean, the, clearly they reminded me of the Strokes when the Strokes were exciting. I don't think you can really escape that similarity. Um the sad thing is there's only two songs I think you can easily hear at the moment in this country. There's that one and another one, a previous single. They have signed to Warners. They have signed to Warners worldwide, yeah. I think they're going to be coming out on Atlantic in this country. So someone has high hopes for them. Now, that said, for all that I thought the set was great, and the pl- bloke I was with thought the set was great as well. He's someone who works for another major label. He turned to me at the end of the set and said, Oh, it's such fun. They're not going to sell anything, though, are they? No. And I was put in mind, actually, of Howler. Yes, I I was going to bring up the the subject of Howler actually. Because again, well presented, quite cool, a really good live, some good tunes, good live band, and it just could not happen. No one. But it was a bit. It was a bit less commercial than this. In that Howler were a lot noisier. Oh, and this lot, I think, were much noisier than Howler live. Yeah, much punkier. I mean, what 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 the Orwells did live was. What I wanted the Parquet Courts album to do, and it didn't quite do it for mm-hmm. me. I thought the Parquet Courts album started really strong, then just faded away because they couldn't be bothered to think of enough tunes to fill up 35 minutes. But the Orwells, every single song had a melody. One of those rare half hours where you think, I didn't waste a single minute of that. Yeah. It was all worth seeing. Um, I think that needs a bit more edge to it. I would prefer a bit more oomph in the production or something just to kind of. It's. Um, it doesn't seem that long ago this kind of music was really big. Do you know what I mean? It was sort of absolutely dominating the charts. 2006, I suppose. Which actually isn't that long ago, is it? What, six years? Seven, seven years. years? Seven years. Yeah. Fuck me. You know, I just would want something that, that suggests sort of moving on rather than the record that could have come out in 2000. I think it's a good song. I think it's definitely think it's a good song. I could see how it worked live and all that. I just think it needs a bit of... I, I would agree. You get, you, get, you get no sense from the record of the slight... Edge of derangement. That yes, you need. The was that's what you need. Live. That's what you there need. Was more of that. But life. then, on the other hand, what I quite liked about this is that it's tidy. And we were talking about making an effort before, mm. and I think the Libertines have had a slightly negative impact on a lot of British guitar bands, especially because it's all really sloppy and ramshackle. Not that there's anything wrong with that in certain places, but we've got this. It's like the Palmer Violets thing. It's just mm. it's not quite good enough it's energetic but the songs are sloppy and it's all over the place and I feel, like, I feel like this is very kind of tightly packaged and actually with a bit of time they could be quite exciting well I was think the other thing to remember though, about American bands against British bands is that American bands you have to have been playing for nine years yeah. before they become so they, the best but, band on their block let yeah, alone yeah, yeah, yeah. before they get noticed anywhere else whereas in Britain these guys have probably been in a band I think for six I no they're absolutely incredible yeah. musicians I saw um, going back to the Great Escape mm. 2 uh, Lord Huron and Phosphorescent mm. uh, neither of whom are particularly my bag music but it was funny. I'd seen a load of British bands, and you walked into the room with Lord Huron. It was, you know, old country. It was whatever. But it's like, my God, they can really, 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 really play, and not in a kind of showboating, widdly woo way either. It was just like, God, you sort of got this sense of how professional Hi. American bands are. Hi, are a yeah. fantastic guy band because they can all play so well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But I mean, but I think the sloppiness thing 
can be amazing if you've got the songs to back it up. And yeah. I'm seeing the Libertines sort of, and you know, it was on one level, it was a bit like the band I was in at school playing at the end of term gig. You know what I mean? It was that shambolic and that. But there were these kind of amazing songs all the way through it. Um, they got away with it. I just yeah. think a lot of people now think yeah. it's enough to yes. be a bit sloppy and a bit grubby. And We've got rock and roll attitude. Yeah, exactly. Um, and it, it isn't. They do we think this is going to sell? Not that that's any judge of <laughs> so the what's quality. So the commercial uh, yeah. prospects? I don't know. It's, I mean, even from a year ago, it's a different time for guitar bands. It feels like people are more receptive to yeah. it, and it's, you know, that's the cycle that's I'd, coming I'd around still, again. As we keep saying every time I'm in here, I still feel like we're waiting for the band that is the one that breaks the dam, and I don't think the Orwells are that band. Although, it's not a very good name, is it's it? It's a no, terrible It does name. sound like they're on a, a compile, cassette-only compilation <laughs> in, in 1989 <laughs> with Strawberry Story and the Mouse Folk. <laughs> yes! Come and get your obscure indie references here, my friends. <laughs> um, so, okay, uh, that is that's up on SoundCloud, is it? It's up on SoundCloud and it's coming out as a single in a couple of weeks. Wonderful. Finally, here is my choice. Okay, that's my choice for Singles Club this week. That is uh, James Holden's Renata, uh, remixed by Daphne. It was announced this week uh, that uh, Romantony, a uh, great house producer, had uh, passed away, best known in non-househead circles for being the guy that goes, one more time, on, uh, on the Daft Punk record of the same name. And uh, found out he died on Sunday and went back to listening to a load of his old records. And what was great about Romantony was he had a really left-field, unique take on house music. His records have come at a slightly weird angle. It's it's very dancey, but it's got a sort of slight left turn to everything. It's obviously an original mind at work. And I sort of feel the same about Daphne's house stuff. I think this is a really sort of original and interesting piece of house music uh, that works both at home, because there's a lot going on, it's quite intricate and strange, but also if you heard that at 3 a.m., in front of the big speakers, off your tits. That will just sound magnificent. And it doesn't do anything obvious. And it still works in kind of all the ways that you want dance music to work. It's got that kind of synth sound on it that sort of brings you up a bit. It's got a really weird vocal. It just sounds like weird, drugged-out 3am music. And that's a beautiful thing, I think. Uh, I will open this to the floor. Rebecca, you're nodding, so we'll go to you I'm, first. I'm agreeing with you. Yes. Um, I think, well, there are two things in this song that I generally tend to like in all songs. One of them is that it's sad dance music. Yeah. Always a big fan. And the other is that it makes you feel slightly bent out of shape. Yeah. And I really like that feeling of listening to music and and it's almost as if nothing's in quite the right place. Yeah. I, I Actually, I don't know anything about it. Um, well, James, know, Holden, uh, James, highly, James Holden, highly acclaimed um, electronica artist, just put his uh, second, I think he said his second album out, on uh, Border Community. And uh, Daphne, you're a big fan of. Daphne, I'm a huge fan yep. of. It's, it's Caribou. It's Dan Snaith, Dan Snaith from Caribou's. Uh, it's his more sort of up-tempo uh, or more dance floor-based uh, moniker. I, I actually prefer that. his work as Daphne. The Daphne album is brilliant. And uh, also he's put out a succession, well, succession, he's put out a couple of really amazing re-edits. Um, of weird African records and stuff on his own label, um, which are well worth checking out. Michael Han, 
Um, as you know, this is music... the impassive stone face here. Well, no, suggests... it's the problem is this, you know this music doesn't exist in. It's not in my comfort zone. In the zone that I actually, sure. no, 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 I, can, I can't trace historical lines just back or everything. But every time I come to Singles Club, uh, you seem to have picked something along these lines. And every... <laughs> I do because no, I know you're coming. It's like... And every time I think, oh, I really ought to listen to more of this kind of stuff because mm. actually. Although the sounds and the melodies and the chord progressions are not the same as in the music that I feel most at home with, the links with so much of the kind of droning psychedelia mm. that I do like are so undeniable yeah. that I feel that I should educate myself more. I really like the thing in this one where I think it's about five minutes in, I thought, oh, well, it stopped. <laughs> and then it starts up again with, with another <laughs> face. <laughs> if only it stopped, came back with a <laughs> and hand claps, then it would have been perfect. It's the sonic detail, the yeah. l- little tricks that keep turning your expectations around. You know, you think you've got it after a minute and then something just turns ever, ever so slightly off to the side and you're going in a different direction again. I think I would say if you are listening to uh, Music Weekly or that clip or you go to listen to the SoundCloud uh, uh, clip of it, well, SoundCloud's got a full version of it, um, don't listen to it on your, your crappy laptop speakers. Um, stick some headphones on because it's got a really walloping bass end that you can't hear at all. Um, and that's quite a sort of clever, it's got very... Uh, motoring kind of powerful uh, kick. We've talked about this before, so haven't we? Music is better loud. Music is better loud on a good system. On a good system. Although I remember the, I, I probably told this before, I remember the letter to the NME in 1986 saying, I don't know what all the fuss about the Jesus and Mary chain is. On my turntable, everything since Love Me Do has sounded like yeah. that. <laughs> I went as part of a feature that actually I'm doing for Music Weekly to the home of the people who run the Classic Album Sundays. I'm writing a piece, not writing a piece, recording about that. And they have in their living room a hi-fi that's worth something like something ridiculous like a hundred grand or 150 grand or something and I'm not you know I'm not a sort of a hi-fi buff and I was like oh well you know surely you can't justify this and um, the woman uh, the lady who runs it it's called Cosmo put on a uh, pressing of Elvis Presley's Love Me Tender and it sounded so amazing it nearly reduced me to tears it just it, there's so much nuance and stuff that you can di- oh man it was it was brilliant it was like Elvis was in the room with you it was like Elvis was in the room with me not on the toilet with you not just snaffling or <laughs> robbing the buffet he was. Yeah. Um, anyway, there you go. Um, that's the Daphne Mix of James Holden's Renata, which you can find find around and about on the internet. It's coming out shortly uh, as, as part of a remix package. And that, my friends, is Singles Club. Go! French electronic duo Justice have a live album on the way, and it's also the 10th birthday of their label, Ed Banger. Ben Beaumont Thomas met up with Xavier de Rosne from Justice and asked him to name his five favourite tracks from the label. I thought I had it all together, but I was led astray the day you walked away. You were the clock that was ticking in my heart. Changed my state of mind, love so hard to find. Your Great pop. Baby, I'm yours. Why did you pick this track? It's kind of like a, a bit of a, a different one for Ed Bang, a bit sort of soft rock. And it's one of those hits, I think, that you think, why wasn't this number one everywhere? If, if you take like all the artists of Ed Banger, whether it's Breakboat or Us or Sebastian or Uffy or Mehdi, like everybody is making different music or Cassius. I'm just, there's not one typical Ed Banger sound. When, when Pedro told us that he was to sign Breakboat, we were not surprised at all because it seems pretty coherent to be incoherent. <clears throat> and that's always been the, the, the direction of Ed Banger. 
So when Ed Banger was born, it was kind of French house had been hugely popular in the 90s, but with a bit more of a, a slick sound. Were you trying to build on that? Actually, what was really influencing us when we were uh, when we started making music was two English bands. That was Le Rhythme Digital. That was the project of uh, Stuart Price. Stuart Price, yeah, yeah. And we're obsessed with Dark Dancer. And the other one was Zongamin. That is Japanese, but that was signed to Excel. So that was like the two, the two new things we were like a bit. Well, Le Rhythme Digital wasn't new, but that was the two things we were that we were trying to do. And and before that, we just used to listen to rock and pop music. So the music we were making was not a reaction at all against uh, French house. But that said, we noticed that when we started DJing, and we, we were not DJing at all before we played our first Headbanger party in 2003, so it was actually the first time uh, we were playing records with turntables, it was totally new for us. And so the first year we noticed that the audience was mainly made of 35, 37, 40 years old people that were probably coming from the first wave of uh, French house. The parties were not really good, to be honest. We were just playing and it wasn't really fun. And around 2006, we noticed that all of a sudden, all the crowd got renewed and we were playing in front of like 16, 70 years old people. And it all, it all happened overnight, which was really weird. And from this moment, it started to be really fun and there was, there was something really happening. The vacuum of my When I look around A stranger to myself All my friends are gone All my friends are gone I cry, I cry, I cry Until the day I die When my tears fade and dry When my tears fade and dry Uffy, which is your second choice. What excites you about her? What was exciting about her when she came out? Just the music. We just love the music. I remember like the, the, the first time we heard Ready to Uff. That was our first big tune on the Banger. Mm. Uh, it was Mr. Wazel who played it to us and at the time he was in London and, and uh, I was playing Bugged Out uh, on my own like for three hours that was a very long set and, and Mr. Oiseau was just starting again to make music but he hadn't he, did, he hadn't been DJing for like years I don't even know if he even DJed before that and I told him okay come with me and we're gonna play Bugged Out together and he came and he brought this tune with him that he just made on a CD and I remember on that night we played it like three times or four times Uh, just because it was really fresh and really, uh, it was a pop tune, but at the same time it was a bit like uh, hip hop and dancey at the same time. It was just very special. Now we took uh, Illusion of Love because it's uh, it was on her album. And it was produced by Mirways, that is an amazing French producer. He's made uh, Madonna's best albums. In, uh, music. Yeah, yeah. Like music and uh, American life. American life, yeah. yeah. To us, like the best tracks on his album are made by Mirways. He, he's a man with really a science of uh, efficiency and pop music while keeping things a bit peculiar and special. And this is a great tune, like to this day, it's still a mystery to us why it didn't become a huge hit. Too many nights I was waiting for 
And so if we move on to uh, Sebastian, I guess him and you are sort of masters of this kind of glitchy sound that, that I guess some people would characterise as being a quintessential Ed Banger thing. Jackson and his computer band uh, that was signed to Warp made this album in 2005 that was called Smash. And I think everybody, that, like whether it's us or Sebastian or Mr. Oiseau, for all of us, that was definitely a before and an after Jackson and his computer band. And, and I think we all listened to that and we were thinking, wow, like this is actually like kind of futuristic and, and appealing at the same time, like complicated, but very powerful at the same time. And it also came with the discovery of computers because before 2005, we didn't have a computer. So, for example, We Are Your Friends, we made it with just a manual sequencer, uh, an Akai S2000 and a, and a Korg expander to make piano sounds. And then we could afford buying a computer. So we bought a computer and we started discovering what you can actually make with that. And it's a bit like if you give a guitar to someone who's never played before, and an amp and electricity, and you see what's gonna happen. And it was a bit the same thing. We we just started like editing stuff which we couldn't do before with a manual sequencer, and started yeah just starting discovering the the infinite possibilities of uh, using the computer for something else that what it is because we had no idea what it was before that. Blanche, which is uh, Riton and DJ Medi, who sadly passed away with a sort of tragic accident uh, at his house. What what did Medi kind of bring to Headbanger? Well, we have a cool story. Actually, Medi kind of uh, made our lives quite different because uh, so we in 2003 we released uh, Where Are Your Friends on Headbanger, and then I was still in school trying to get graduated, so we were not making much music. We were just like starting discovering ourselves as well as a band because we met in 2003 when we started making music. And two years after, Pedro was like, was a bit worried that we were not making new music. So he was telling us, okay, I booked a mastering uh, session in one month, which means you have one month to make your next uh, EP. So we made Waters of Nazareth quite quickly and we played it to him on the train going to London. To, to Medi or? No, to Pedro. Oh, okay. Pedro listens to it and say like, yeah, I'm no, sorry, I can't release that because I don't like it. It's like, there's nothing special about it. It doesn't sound good. So we're like, yeah, okay. So we made new tracks and the EP was ready without Waters of Nazareth on it. And, uh, and we had, so this mastering session booked on a Friday uh, with Nilesh Patel that also sadly passed away last year. And he was our mastering engineer. And on Friday, he calls us and say, Listen, guys, I can't do it because I have a stomach flu. So we have to do the session on Monday. And during the weekend, I was helping Mehdi doing the track listing of his first album. And at some point, we took a break and I played him uh, Waters of Nazareth. Saying like, yeah, this is uh, like a, a track that we proposed to Pedro, but he didn't like it. 
And Mehdi was like, but guys, that's the best track you've ever done. You have to release this one, absolutely. So I was like, yeah, you think so? So I called Gaspard, who was on holidays. I said, listen, maybe we should do this track. And the track, all the parts were already there. We just had to edit it. So we made the edit uh, by distance. Like, we were just talking and say, okay, put this there and everything. <laughs> so we finished that track on Monday morning. Monday morning, we send it to Pedro. And Pedro listens to it and say like, Man, this is the best tune I've heard this year. <laughs> so, and it was exactly the same track. <laughs> was he very uh, apologetic then? No, it was like this is mind blowing. We're gonna put that on the on the on the EP, and it's gonna be the. And we decided it would be the A side on the EP. And uh, so, thanks to Mehdi and to go back on Gare du Nord by Carte Blanche, they made their EP. And uh, Gare du Nord wasn't on the EP, and Mehdi were in New York and. They started this track with Vuitton and he played, he played me like this loop and I was like, this is kind of the best track uh, you have and you should put it on the EP. And so uh, I, fi- I helped him like finish it, like to finish it in New York in a hotel room very quickly because all the elements were there already. And yeah, it became the A side of uh, Carte Blanche and probably the, the biggest track. So it was like a, a thank you, like uh, five years later. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So the last track was Zonkamin, who, as he said, you kind of were inspired by way back in the day. And then it kind of, he didn't do any music for about, well, at least came out for maybe about two or three years. And then he kind of exploded back with this track, Bongo Song. Yeah, he's uh, like Zongamin is, uh, uh, let's say it, he's a genius. And he's genius on record and live. He's an amazing bass player, an amazing performer, and he's also very good at doing illustrations. And maybe the things with like genius is that you float a bit around, and you know what I mean. You and and we've been waiting for his new album since yeah, like years, and we really hope he's, he's gonna make one soon. And and still to this day, he's a very big uh, inspiration to us. Because his records sound, yeah, as we said, like very dry, very rough, but at the same time, very slick, you know what I mean? Because everything is like at its, in its right place and uh, the writing is amazing. The, the whole aesthetic is crazy. And, I, and we like those things that are very in the middle between being incredibly complex, but look incredibly simple. So we choose this tune more as an excuse to mention Zongamin than really to talk about this tune. And this tune is an amazing song that we still play, but it's more to talk about this character that is an incredible character, incredible musician. That was Ben Beaumont-Thomas talking to Xavier de Rosneau from Justice. Their new live album, Access All Areas, is out now. That's about it for this week. Uh, thank you very much to Michael and Rebecca uh, for joining me. Thanks um, a lot. Thank you for having us. It's a pleasure as ever. Um, if you want to go to guardian.co.uk forward slash music weekly, you can find out a lot more info on the show and links, of course, to these singles club tracks. Uh, I, and indeed Kieran, will see you next week. Bye-bye.
For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.